0: Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you bless this time as we look at your word. Help us to see what you want us to see from it. Understand it. Lead us. Guide us through your Holy Spirit. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 78. I'm going to read through the whole thing again. It's a long psalm, but it's a good one. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to my, the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth as a, in a parable I will utter dark sayings of old, which ye have heard and known and your fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praise of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born who, who should arise and declare to them, to their children. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. That they might and might not be as their fathers in stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart right and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of the Lord and refused to walk in His law and forgot His works and His wonders that He showed them. Marvelous things did He in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also He led them with a cloud and all the night with a fire. light of fire. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. They tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against the God, they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, He smote the rock with waters and, and waters gushed out. And streams overflowed. He gave bread, uh, gave bread also. Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this. And was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob. And anger also against Israel. Because they believed not in God. And trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above. And opened the doors of heaven. And had rained down manna upon them to eat. And had given them the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He, He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowl like the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitation. So they did eat, and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. And they were not estranged from their lust but when god, when their meat was yet in their mouth the wrath of god came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of israel and all this they sinned still and believed not in his wondrous works therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble when he slew them they sought they sought him and they returned and inquired early after god and they remembered that god was their rock and their high god and and the high god their redeemer Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their, their mouth, and they lied unto him in their, with their tongues. For their hearts were not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many, time, many a time turned his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes away, and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness, and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. For he had wrought his, his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. And he turned their, their t- rivers into blood and their floods so that they could not drink. He sent diverse sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them and gave also their increase into the caterpillar and their labor into the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail, and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also with hail, and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast, them, cast upon them the fierceness of His anger, wrath and indignation, and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way for, to His anger. He spared not their soul from death. He gave their life over to pestilence. He smote all the firstborn in e- Egypt the chief of the of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain where his right hand had purchased, which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them an in inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, and kept not His testimony, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. And they turned aside like, deceitful bow, like a deceitful bow. For they provoked Him to anger in their high places, and moved Him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, He was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that He forsook the tabernacle in Shiloh and the tent which He placed among them. He delivered His strength into captivity, and His glory into the enemy's hands. He gave his people over also to the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. A fire consumed the young men and the maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord waked and came as one out of sleep and like a mighty man he shouted by the reason of wine he, and he smote his enemies to the hinder parts and he put a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like high places, like, like the earth which he had established forever. He chose David also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, ewes great with young, and he brought him to feed Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them by his skillfulness of his hand so this is the history of israel that we're looking at in this psalm and you want to think about this, this is actually a song that they would sing in worship of god going over the history of israel they would it, sing this would this, this whole thing and when you get to when we get to psalm 119 they would sing that whole song uh so we're, we're looking at this and we left off last week at verse eight so we're going to start at verse 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. Now this is a, something that we're not quite sure what battle he's talking about because we don't see this battle in, jo- in Joshua that we know of, that, Ephra- that uh, Ephraim turned away from battle. Now remember, three tribes stayed on the other side of the Jordan: Ephraim, Manasseh, and the half tribe of. Benjamin. Huh. Benjamin. No. Manasseh. Manasseh, Manasseh half tribe of Manasseh. Sure. Okay, and the agreement was that those tribes, Ephraim and and. Uh, yeah, why am I drawing a blank? Anyway, the two tribes were to go over the Jordan with them. And the men of war were to go over with them and fight. And here it's indicating that they turned away at some point during that battle. And, uh, but it, it is not one, I looked in, nobody seems to know which battle this is referring to. But obviously they have a bad reputation. Ephraim being armed, having, being equipped, they were good at shooting and carrying their bows, and yet, they turned back. They refused to go into battle at some, at some point. And this was one of the things that Moses said, you know, hey, you're, you want to stay over here. Why should, why should the rest of the tribes suffer the loss of two tribes of warriors? Ephraim is Joseph's son too, right? One of Joseph's sons. So two tribes did not want to go to battle? No, they wanted to stay in the other, on the east side of the Jordan. They agreed to go to battle. And as far as, if you read Joshua, it seems like they did no problem. They went and fought. And, but they, they did turn away before the land was completely conquered. But that also makes sense, because they were taking forever to conquer. These people were not, like in no hurry to conquer their, their territories. They were getting tired of battle after a few years, and they really didn't want to keep battling. And yet, so you've got these two tribes coming over saying, hey, you know, we're supposed to be here until you finish the, finish conquering the land, let's, you know, they would be there, get moving, get moving. And they were like, okay, well, we've got all the time in the world, we can get to it whenever we want. And so there was this, there was this tension between those tribes and the rest of the 10 tribes because of that. And this just says that if finally they went home. They, they violated their cust, uh, covenant because they, the covenant was that they were gonna stay there and fight for them until they conquered all the Promised Land, uh, but we also look at if you read if you read Joseph, uh, Joshua, you see this. They weren't in any big hurry to get this land. It, they they were dragging their feet because they were running into some hard battles sometimes. These guys, the the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Zebusites, the the all these countries were pretty strong places. They weren't they weren't weak countries that they were conquering and taking over. It was only being conquered because God gave them the victory. So we see here that, you know, the story that we're being told is that they didn't didn't do what they were supposed to. And so, and in verse 16, And they forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. This is a common theme for the Israelites as they go through the wilderness, as they go into the promised land. They forget what God has done. And this is why I say we as Christians have to be careful that we do not forget what God has done for us. It becomes easy for us. and Because when times get hard, people often forget the good things that that have happened to them. We get very short-sighted and we look only at all the bad that's happening and not God has always been faithful. And this is why it's important for us to get into the scriptures and see how faithful God always is with His people, and how He stays faithful. Because it is we have this tendency. We either we either romanticize the past and it was always really good, or we just forget all the good completely and live in live in where the bad that we're in. Uh, and we hear it all the time with older people, and, and even we might even do it. I remember when, you know. You know, if you think back, you know, people go into the 60s, the 50s instead of the 50s, or the 50s were the perfect time to grow up. Well, the 50s had their problems as well. Uh, but you know, every time has its problems. And we tend to forget, you do one of two things. We either forget the problem areas that we had, or we just forget all about the past and say it was all bad and terrible. And I don't want to think about it at all. And here we see that keeps the continual theme is the Jews wandering in the wilderness, kept forgetting God. You know, they'd crossed the Red Sea, come to the first problem they had, and now they're complaining, you know, if you remember, they're, they didn't have enough water, so they complained about Moses. Why'd you bring us here? You know, we're going to die here. You know, forget that God had done 10 miraculous signs to get them out. Forget that the God had split the Red Sea in half so that they could walk on dry land. And all of a sudden they feel like, okay, God can't give us water he hasn't given us water yet he can't give us water then a little later it's okay God you've given us water you've split the Red Sea. you've done these 10 miracles but hey we're hungry like they're spoiled brats. they're <laughs> spoiled brats. but but we're not we wouldn't be any different in that situation okay God we're hungry and you you know you haven't given you given us water you've given us the red seed and you've given it you took us out of the country but you can't give us food they're thinking of the present not the past well they're not remembering what God has done and you know what is giving them food compared to splitting the Red Sea in half? What is giving water compared to splitting, to to making uh, all these plagues on Israel, Egypt? And all the time they were turning around and saying, "Okay, we got a new thing that God can't do." Okay, God, you can't give it, you can't give us meat. You were able to give us this what is it stuff? You know, manna. You gave us water, but hey, we're hungry for flesh, and you haven't been able to give us flesh. So obviously, you can't. And then God rains, says we're going to see rains flesh on them, in the form of the quail. Yeah. But we see this continual pattern. But you know, lest we get too hard, and then we do the same thing. Oftentimes with God, when we run up to a new problem for our, in our life, or a large problem, where we consider a large problem in our life, we're going to go. We tend to have the same feeling with God. God, don't you care about me? You know, you're you got to fix this problem for me. And we do the same thing they did. Okay, God, you've you managed to meet all my needs up to this point, but this one's just so big, God, how can you how can you meet it? And we might not be so blunt to say it that way as the children of Israel, but we really are when we're when we're griping to God that you know about a problem. And sometimes we also, I don't know what I am going to do and not even mention God until we're you're so stressed out. He's the last choice, not the first, so often. A lot of times. And you hear people say, I've, I've tried everything I can do, so I'll, maybe I'll pray. Uh, yeah. yeah. That should be the first thing we do as Christians, is pray. And we're learning, this group is learning that quite, quite well for the most part, but it is, we pray. And then God brings an answer in. And it does things, they're wonderful. They forgot his works that he had showed them. Verse 12, And marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan," and that's the summer palace of Egypt, of the Pharaoh. So, he's saying, God did marvelous things to take us out out of Egypt. And we've mentioned this before, maybe not in this class, but Egypt in the Scriptures oftentimes is a symbol of the flesh, okay? It's a symbol of turning to the world, the flesh. Jacob brought his family into Egypt. It was not the place he was supposed to go, but it was a provision God had made for them knowing what they were going to do. And they returned to the world's way of thinking. We as Christians oftentimes will turn away from God and return back to the flesh. In the symbolic form, we call it returning to Egypt. And we see this over and over. Israel tried to keep going back to Egypt Egypt. And when you see that, really what God is saying, they're trying to go back to the world. They're trying to go back to the world for help. They're looking to the world to get out of whatever situation they were in. Oftentimes we as Christians will try to go back to our worldly ways to get an answer to fix things. And it's not where we're supposed to go. We're supposed to turn to God, the heavenly answer. And so, he's saying, you know, God did great things to take them out of Egypt. God did great things to take us out of our Egypt. He brought us to the Son to die for us, so that we could be made new creations, and be out of this world, and be brought into a new kingdom. And we've talked a little bit about that over time. We do not belong to this world as Christians. This is not our home. There's a there's a bumper sticker out that's. Uh, uh, N T O W, not of this world. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful thing because we aren't of this world. We are part of God's kingdom. And it's a wonderful thing for us to keep in mind that this is not our world. We're not going to be happy here because this is not our home. Should tell you later, Annie. <laughs> uh, this is not our home. We're going to. We're, we our home is in heaven. If we are happy in this world, there's something wrong with us. And this is what we look at. What am I? What am I satisfied with? When when you're going when you're watching television, are you? Are, do you have things that really just get on your nerves? Like, I I put on a movie from Netflix just the other day, and I'm going. After about three or four minutes, I'm going. I'm going. I can't handle this movie. And it wasn't because of swearing or cursing or violence. It was because the family was such an idiotic family. Mm-hmm. The father and mother were buffoons. Yeah. And I go, I'm not watching this movie. And we turned it off. You know, do we get that way when we're watching things, when we're reading things, when we're living? Are we happy with things that are worldly? Or do they irritate us and we need to get into something that is godly? That is because this world is not our home, and we need to be able to go forward and say, I'm going to live seeking after God, and very important, don't forget God. Verse 13, he divided, or or cut in half the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand up as a heap, and the into a heap. So he's talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. Could also be the crossing of the, the, the Jordan, because he did the same thing in the Jordan River. But because he's back in the history, he's probably talking about the Red Sea. But you realize the big miracle that that is even. They crossed on dry land. I don't know if any of you have ever gone swimming on a river or lake, you know, out away from the beach. But if you go down to the bottom, you find mud. Mm-hmm. Usually deep mud (laughs) where the water has stood for so long. We're talking about splitting the Red Sea 100, 200 feet. And they walked across on dry land. That's two miracles at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's splitting the water and drying out the land for them. And it's an amazing thing when you think about it. And can you imagine what it would have been like to go through the Red Sea with walls of water, 100 to 200 feet? I mean, it's it's nervous and nerve-wracking enough sometimes if you're in a canyon and, you know, with sheer, you know, sheer. But here you are walking with walls of water that aren't supposed to be there. It's like almost saying you're walking to the moon. Yeah. Really. But I can't even fathom. I can't. The faith that it would take to go through that because you're looking on either side of the water that's not supposed to be standing up the way it's standing, wondering if it's going to fall down on you. you got to wonder if it's going to fall down on you. And yet you're following God's instruction to walk through. And are With there it. fish in there? Look. <laughs> I've never thought about fish looking at me. but Of course, it couldn't just stand there because uh, Pharaoh was chasing really them. So it's, uh, But there is times, are we willing to walk in the miracle that God has provided for us. And each one of us probably can think of at least one time where we believe that God wanted us to walk in and we refuse to walk in that direction. At least once in our life, if not many times in our life, (laughs) that we say, I'm really sure that God wants me, but I just, (laughs) not absolutely sure, so I don't walk in. I really think of, you know, say five years before or 20 years or whatever, Now, I believe myself, I would do anything, but back then I probably wouldn't have done it. But I believe that I can't live without Him every minute of the day. I have to, even through bad and good, He's with me. The more we grow, the more willing we will be to step out in faith and walk with God. But that's because He's grown us into it. He will never ask us to do something that He hasn't prepared us for, but it will still never be easy. Because to walk with God is not an easy decision because He only shows us a few steps of the path at any one time. And it's very scary sometimes to look down a path and say, wow, God, you want me to do what? It's to grow us for the next time He takes us and puts us in front of something that looks totally scary. Uh, If you think about, if you've ever watched any movies where where the hero has to grow, and that's most good movies, the hero has to learn to be able to take the steps that they have to take by the end of the movie uh, or the story, if it's a book. God does the same thing with us. He grows us into, you know, if you think of anything out there, you know, uh, any story out there, if you took the, the hero and threw them at the end of the book without all the steps in between, they would have probably froze. <laughs> there's a line in the Lord of the Rings where Sam and Frodo are talking and they go well we're just part of this never-ending story and you know and they and they even go you know would they have done what they had done if they had known where it was going to take them and they go no where they'd have been fro you know <laughs> they would have froze because they hadn't been toughened up to get to that point well God does the same thing with us he raises us up and each each test is going to be tougher each step of faith will be a if we had been fa- faced that you know, six years earlier, it was like, uh-uh, I'm not going there. All need prayer anyway, but when you feel God asking you to pray for something, someone ask you know, pray for them anyway, but yeah. you know, ask them if you could pray with them. And you might find that they're gonna to be touched by it because that understanding that God has shown somebody that prayer is needed, like you said, you just feel blessed that somebody is seeing the need. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful place for us to be when we see a need and we step in to do what God wants us to do. The more you are exhibiting God, the more people are gonna to wanna to pray for you and the more you're gonna to wanna to pray for others and the more people will see. And I've expressed this, you know, when I've been to different meetings where I didn't even wanna be at, you know, a lot of times for business meetings. And I would just say, God, I need to find other Christians because I don't wanna be hung, hanging around with these people I know that are, not, all they wanna do is drink at this party, you know, manager's party. I need to find some Christians, and he would, he would bring Christians into my, into my circle for that evening to be able to just enjoy God with. And the more we seek out God's people, the more he's going to show us God's people. The spirit world is a world that we learn to operate in as well, because it is a world where there's good and bad spirits, there's, you know, and we need to be sensitive to that kind of stuff. And Satan is subtle. He is so subtle. Just as I described the TV, the movie we tried to watch. You know, and It sounded good in the previews. And I'm going, no, we're not watching this. And it might have been a good movie if I got past the family. But I couldn't get past the family. I'm not feeding my mind. I don't want to feed my mind with that kind of garbage. And so why I turn most sitcoms off. Because if it has a family in it, the parents are total idiots. And the kids are running, running wild and running the family. And so it is so... Critical are to and listen to the like spirit. To, Shows that I used to watch in the seventies and eighties, I can't watch them anymore. I can't believe they're on T V. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I can't I well what's worse for me is I can't believe I ever watched this show. Much less the new stuff that's on, which is even worse. Even in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, and I didn't It wasn't see that quite either. as bad as it is today, but they were still they were they were They were brainless and buffoons. They usually got to the right answer by the end of the show back then. Nowadays, they don't ever get to the right answer. But in the early days, they would be buffoons and and bumbling their way through it. They'd get to the answer by the end, which is kind of more real. But it still displayed a father who was not really strong. We have to be careful. What are we feeding ourselves with? This is why we've got to get into God's word. This is why we've got to be with God's people. This is why we've got to know what God says about things so that when we see the wrong, we recognize it and we say, okay, no, we're not going there. We want to be careful about this. Satan is always trying to sneak in Mm -hmm. with this garbage, always with all the lies to deceive us. And the sad thing for our generation, and even for most of the generation that we grew up in, TV was almost a babysitter for us. You know, go watch TV. Yeah. Yes. You know, go watch all this garbage to pour into your head, while I go do whatever it is I want to do. And now we wonder, you know, why are we in such trouble? Well, our generation grew up on this lack of, lack of God's way, and the new generation is even worse. Mm-hmm. And so and then we wonder why we have the problems that we have. Verse 14, And in the daytime He led them with a cloud, and at night with the light of the fire, God guided Israel. But you know, God still guides us, maybe not quite as obvious as it was through, for them, you know, to be following a, a, a pillar, pillar of cloud or a pillar of, of light, but He still leads. In our case, we have to listen a little closer, get into the Word, the more we're in God's Word, the more we're meditating on God, the more clear His leading will be for us. And it's very important that we stay close to Him. Because it is so easy for us to get distracted mm-hmm. and go the wrong way and say, Well, I think God's telling me to do this when it really is just what I want to do. Yeah. One of the first rules I have in my, in my life, I, if it's something I want to do, I'm not claiming it was God because I have a hard time splitting out my desires from God's direction. Uh, I may feel that God's okay with my decision, but I'm not gonna say he told me. Now, if I'm being asked to do something that there is nothing in me that wants to do it, and I know it's not sinful, I go, okay, maybe this is God telling me to do this. And there's times when I've been very sure of that. Moving to Kingman was one of those times when I was sure that God was telling me to move to Kingman, but nothing in me wanted to move to Kingman. It seemed like a really dumb idea, as a matter of fact, to move to Kingman. to me, no comment. Even though I had family in Kingman, it was not where I wanted to come. And yet, I'm God saying, you know, I really felt God saying, "You're going to Kingman. You're going to Kingman. You're going to Kingman." Uh, I did not want to come. And I got a question: If, If you could go anywhere else, would you leave now? No. Because I felt the same way about Kingman, and I lived here before, so I really felt that way. When you do what God wants you, you know that you're where you're supposed to be and you would not trade it for anything. Now, when I've done things in my own, my own desires and thinking that I was doing things I was doing God's right way of doing it, it's not the same feeling. Not the same feeling when you're not where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So they had being, they were being led. But we need to learn to listen to God's Word, listen to His Word, listen to counsel of others and step out. And when we do the right thing, there's great blessing in it. Sometimes it's a scary thing to do the right thing. And we've talked about that. It's sometimes very scary to step out and do what God's asking us to do. And we look at it and say, God, I just don't understand how anything good can come from this. I just, and it's when we walk by faith, not by sight. Oftentimes when God asks us to do something, we look at it and say, God, you're, you're absolutely insane. There's no way I'm gonna do that. You know? And his favorite book, of The Hiding Place, you know, the, the family hiding Jews and being arrested and being sent to concentration camps where most of them died. And you go, how can that be God's will? Because he did great things from it as well. People were touched. People's lives were saved. Oftentimes, We look in the New Testament, the Jews kept getting sent to prison and getting beat and and they would give the gospel anyway and people would get saved because of their beatings. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs and many people became Christians by each of these martyrs dying. And then they would be put in and be martyred. And you go, Well, God, that's a really terrible thing to do. Well, it brought people to the kingdom. God is going to do what it takes to bring people to the kingdom. And if we suffer in the temporal life so that we can have the rewards in eternity, praise God. Mm -hmm. We need to get to that point where we praise God. If I suffer so somebody else can get in the kingdom, I should be happy to suffer for them. Jesus suffered for all of us so that we could get into the kingdom. Each of the disciples suffered so that people could get into the kingdom. All through the Old Testament, people suffered so that God's glory would be accomplished. Yeah. Look at Joseph. Sold into slavery at age 17. And for 13 years didn't understand why everything went wrong. Yeah. Can you imagine being Joseph? No. Yeah. Father loves you, he's putting you kind of in charge of the family business and your brothers sell you. Oh, that's terrible enough a, on its own. You get in, you start being doing a good job at a in the house, and all of a sudden, you're charged with rape, and into jail you go. And their prisons weren't anything like our prisons. Okay, rises up a little bit in the in the prison, you know, showing good thing, you know, but still he's in prison. Uh, and he's this this way for 13 years. Every time things start getting looking like they're getting better, it gets worse. Talks to the butler and the, and the butcher, interprets their dreams, and says, Hey, you know, when you get out in three days, go tell me. Butler, what did I say? Baker. Oh, it was a baker. Butcher. baker and butcher. Butcher and butler. Butcher. Yeah, uh, you know, go, and when you get out in three days, tell Pharaoh about me because I'm here, you know, I'm innocent and I'm here. They forget for two years. He forgets for two years. <laughs> You know, it's like, okay, my hope's up. This guy's right. He, this is the right-hand man to Pharaoh. He's going to tell Pharaoh about me. And the guy forgets him for two years. You know, Joseph could have finally at any point just given up and saying, God, I don't believe in you anymore. You have put me in the middle of this troublesome things for, for 12 and a half years. I give up on you. And if he'd have given up, he'd have missed the blessing Six months later, God, I'm giving up. It's it's been 12 years, 11 months, and you're just don't, you have forgotten me. Everything you've done has been bad for me, and missed the blessing. How many blessings have we missed because we give up on God one day before He was ready to give us the reward for our faithfulness? Thirteenth year, Joseph's raised up, taken before Pharaoh. And gets to be second in charge of the, of the greatest kingdom of the, an empire of that day. Number two man of the greatest king empire of his day. Because God put him into tri- tribulation for 13 years. And we get mad at God because he puts us through a day or two of trouble sometimes. Or a couple months worth of trouble. Maybe even a year or two. Joseph had 13 years of headaches and troubles where it looked like everything was God was against him and didn't like him and didn't love him and yet he trusted God. Are we willing to say, God, I am yours to use however in whatever way you want to use me? That's a a hard question to answer for us. We need to be really able to say, God, you're in control. You've got a plan. I can't remember which missionary. But there was a missionary who spent his entire life ministering in China and converted one person in like 40 years. I'm sure he felt like a failure. That one person he ministered to, though, turned China upside down with the gospel. And I can't remember the names of these guys, I just remember the story, the, this, you know. We do not know what our life is going to mean in the, in the, in the course of history. Something that one person with like 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. Millions actually, yeah, oh, oh. millions. You know, you follow the line of, of our great evangelists, Deal Moody. Uh, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, okay, evangelists, each one being touched by the other one's ministry in, in one way or another and creating a chain of people that are ministering the gospel and each one ministering to more people. We do not know the impact of our lives. My father went to Ecuador with the family and everything, and they ministered for two years and led one person to the Lord. What they didn't realize was that one person who was working in their home as a, as a cleaning person was going to her village and sharing the gospel and that from her sharing what they taught her. We never know what the impact is that we have. We may look at something and say, man, I have just been the most terrible, worthless person in, you know, in the kingdom. I haven't touched anybody's lives. Nobody's been saved by anything I've done. Nobody's been changed. And yet God is saying, you don't know what you're talking about. We'll get to heaven and He'll show us the people whose lives have been changed. He'll also show us the seeds that could have changed the people when we when we went out. Because we're not responsible for the, the people's attitudes and change. We're responsible for planting the seed, giving the gospel. It's been said that the average person has to hear the gospel six times before they finally change. Now, who knows whether you're the first or the sixth? It's fun being the sixth. <laughs> you know, you get to actually get to hear them say the prayer and, and, and change. But what if you're just a, a, the initial farming person? You put seeds in everybody that you've come across. Don't give up. Don't give up because you never know what is around the corner. Verse 15, He clave the rocks in the wilderness and made them drink as, of, as out of the great depths. First time the, God, the people challenged Him for water was at Mirma. The water was bitter. They threw the stick, God showed them the tree or stick to throw, it says stick, but it just says tree, to put in the waters. We talked about when we, in Exodus, we talked about that. The tree represents cross coming into the bitter times in our life and purifying the situation. They go a little further and there's no water at all and God says, Moses, strike the rock. The rock represented Jesus and water gushed out of the rock. You know, and think about this. We're not talking about a trickle of water coming out of this rock. We're talking about enough water to water three and a half million people, OK? You want to talk about water? <laughs> you know, we, I, I, for a long time, I thought, OK, water's coming out. OK, you know, there's just water coming out. I didn't realize how much water. You know, in, in my early days, I never realized how much water it would take to, to water three and a half million people plus their animals and their flocks. It was almost like when God had just that fish and the bread and fed all of. It. And fed five thousand people with yeah. the, you know, with the the, the three uh, the three fish all and five man. loaves. Uh, and how much left over. <laughs> and twelve baskets left over, you know. It's, um, so you get in this situation. Water came out of the rock, and I don't know how big this rock was, but it, I think they're talking about a cliff. You know, I really think it was a cliff, because you really would have needed that kind of water to come out of you know that. Kind of a stone for that kind of water, but God gave him water. Verse 16. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like river. We're talking about a lot Not of water. Not river. River of yeah. water coming out of this rock. Like the Colorado River. Yeah, yeah. something like Colorado River up the stream yeah. here. You know, because that's what you would need mm-hmm. to three to to water three and a half million people. You would need that kind of a river. Today. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, she's talking about this water yeah. out the rock, of the rock. Mary, 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 mm. My yeah, oh. the, the yeah. bitter water. Those ones, oh. those, those were I believe are still there. But this water, we're not. I don't know about the rock. The rock totally um, and then verse 17. After all of this, yet and yet, and they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness all that god did for them and they turned around and provoked god but again i like to bring out you know we don't want to be too critical of the israelites at this point because we do the same thing god provides us things and we just get oh god you know so what have you done for me lately you know we give them the world standard answer you know okay you know good you did you did that you did that in the past but what what have you done today yeah how spoiled do we get at times And this is why I always share: we as Christians need to be very careful that when we look at the blessings in our life, that we don't start getting the attitude of our blessed that God's blessings are normal. Because if we do, we'll we'll stop giving Him thanks for it. When we're being blessed financially, we're being blessed spiritually, we're being blessed physically, with things that are good. Make sure you're thanking God for the blessings. Because if you don't, he might just take the blessings away. I think that's part of what happened with Job. Job did forget that God was blessing him. He, he got to the place where he thought it was normal. Or, even worse, felt that God owed it to him for his obedience. Yeah. We've all been there at some point where we kind of think, God, you know, about time you finally give me, you're rewarded me for my, for my good you know, things that I've done right. And again, we probably don't say it that bluntly, but our actions share that, you know, like, oh, okay, God, you know, thank you, it's just about time. We need to be so careful when that happens because God could pull the blessing away so quick to say, yeah, you, you want to get prideful about this, I'll just show you what you deserve. And he gives us a taste of what we deserve. And we want to be careful because this is what they did, they provoked him. They're going, okay, we got water, we've got manna, uh, but, but God, you know, uh, we want, we want more. We want more. One of the hardest things for us as humans is to be satisfied with what we have. And it's not a very, not very hard to understand. We have an entire industry called marketing that tries to make us dissatisfied with what we have. Here's the newest car. Here's all the bells and whistles in this car that you really, you absolutely have. If you don't have it, there's something wrong with you. You're, you're deprived. You know. Here's the new house you need. You know. Uh, you think about this, uh, especially our very older ones, you remember when your first houses were a little tiny living room with a kitchen, small kitchen and maybe a bedroom or two, and that was your house, okay? Nowadays, some of those houses would fit in one room mm-hmm. of the current houses. They yeah. have room left over? <laughs> I don't know about left over, but, uh, but by the time you got the rest of the house around it, you know, that you're going to fit five or six of those houses in some of, the, some of these houses. And people don't think they're big enough uh you know i just don't have a big enough house and then fuss about their utilities yeah but Mm -hmm. we need to be careful we need to be careful be satisfied with what we have whatever it is that god's given us now there's starting to be a move back the other direction to small houses but uh but we want to be careful you know, we don't need a new car every two or three years to stay in debt perpetually. We don't need yeah. a new, bigger, bigger <laughs> home. We, we, you know, we don't need the, the latest, greatest style of clothes. We need to be careful that we stay humble enough to say, thank you, God. And if he blesses us, thank you, God, praise God, and your blessing, and keep going forward. Paul said, I have learned to be content with much and with little, Contentment is very important in that, not saying, well okay God I, I, you know I used to have a lot and now I have nothing you know what's wrong you know what's wrong with you how, or what's wrong with me, whichever the case might be you know because it's going to run in cycles God's, but that's what it means to be content be content with what we have because we never know what it is that God could do and one of the great things is God teaches us be content but he also teaches us not to go into debt our our society is built on consumerism and debt you you want it go get it it's critical for us to keep doing things god's way because when you're in debt you know when you're in debt you're in slavery to somebody Mm -hmm. because you've got to pay that debt otherwise you lose whatever it is that the debt bought so it is debt is slavery and yet the world tells us ah just just buy it, you know. You know, no problem being in debt. You'll pay it off eventually. Yeah, you can claim uh, bankruptcy. Oh, you can claim bankruptcy. You, you just you get too much debt. Just, just have the government wipe it out. Verse 18. And they tempted God in their heart by asking for meat, asking meat for their lust. And, yea, they spoke against God, saying, "Can God furnish a table in the, in the wilderness?" And this is in, we've been studying this in Numbers and in Exodus, we talked about it. They wanted meat. Now there was nothing wrong with the desire to have meat. Okay, that wasn't the big problem. But it was because they wanted it with all of their heart. That was all they could think about. They lusted after it. Meat, are they talking about food? This is actual meat. They wanted, they had manna. Every day God supplied them with manna and they were basically saying, God, we're sick and tired of manna. Oh, okay. okay, God, retired tired of the food you're giving us. But yet that's what the angels of heaven have on. Well, it says that they ate angels' food. I'm not sure that literally is what they eat, but it is what God provided yeah. man. Yeah. We do know it was a perfect food though, because nobody got sick the whole time they wandered around. They, their feet didn't swell. Uh, they didn't get fat and have to have new clothes, because it said their sandals stayed, yes, stayed were, for 40 years. Yeah. Didn't wear out. Their clothing didn't wear out. So that was a miracle in itself, but also the fact that the manna fed them and kept them correctly sized as well. Because most, if you think about it, you, you, know, you either get fatter, fatter or skinnier in your life. Most usually it's fatter in our day and age. Uh, in the older days, during famines and not as much food, it was the other way around. You were, fat was healthy and, and skinny was sickly. Uh, nowadays we're trying to go the other way around because food is plentiful and abundant in our society. And but they were going all they could think about, well, stinking manna, we don't want manna, we want we want we want some real meat here, you know. What what is this God? You know, the God is starving us to death, you know, making us eat this manna every day. <laughs> you know, so God said, Okay, you want you want meat? <laughs> I'm gonna give you meat. And the irony is he could have put a table down there. Oh, could have done anything but they're, they're, they're complaining on verse twenty behold he smote the rock and gave us waters, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also can he provide can he buy, provide flesh for his people? These were the comments if you remember look back back in exodus and and numbers oh. it was this, you know there was just complaining oh. you know yeah, hey, I remember back in Egypt we had garlic and leeks and they made it sound like they had a feast every day. They're slaves in Egypt. But they're slaves in Egypt, yeah. Yeah. They probably didn't have much food either. Right. Okay. But they did have variety. I, I'll agree with them. If you've ever tried to eat the same thing day after day after day after day after day, it gets old, even if you like it. And steaks get cold. Yeah, yeah. I, when I worked in the restaurants, I never thought I'd get tired of a pizza. After, after, after quite a few years in the pizza business, yeah. it didn't matter what toppings you put on it; it still tasted like a, the, like a pizza and the same thing. I worked in a steak place for a short time, but even in that short time, and I love steak, yeah. I got to the place where I didn't even want to smell a steak anymore, and I had to work in a steak place. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, was like, yeah, yeah give me, yeah, let me go back to the pizzas again, you know. Uh, but right, yeah. here they're being, I can understand their complaint. Oh. Yeah. I don't know what a manna tasted like or what you could do with it, but there's... What is manna? We don't know. We call, oh, that's what I'll keep it was a wafer, that coriander, and it tasted... Right? It, it was like a coriander seed and it, tasted, it had the taste of honey to it. Oh. So it was, how many ways can you grind that, you can, you could, make a porridge out of the seeds. You could probably grind it to make a bread. You made pancakes or, you no, know, cakes. I'd to get some manas, try it, see what it is. But there's no such thing as, oh, okay. it, it, it came in the morning. God yeah. God provided it on the dew. They would pick it up in the morning. When the sun came out, it dried away. It was, it was God provided food. Mm. And yet, and I can understand how that could be, you know, after, yeah. you know, 40 years of it. McDonald's every <laughs> yeah. day it, You know, <laughs> I, and you know, you probably had a cookbook, five thousand ways to cook manna. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if that was true or not, but you could picture you could picture people trying to swap recipes, manna saying, you know, I, I boiled. Yeah, and you're having it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It might be in my recipe, <laughs> it, it, in my library. <laughs> but you know, but you can picture it. You know, you you boiled it in some kind of mash. You baked it into a cake. You. You know you ground it up into some kind of you know flowery substance and did whatever you did with flour but you had nothing to add to it i always figured they just, i always assumed that they just <laughs> ate it they might have done the it they <laughs> <laughs> angel food too <laughs> all right so but they're going can god their, their complaint was can god feed us this flesh And it says in verse 21, Verse 21, Therefore God heard this and was angry. So fire was kindled against Jacob and anger against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in their salvation. Though He commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, and He rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them all the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food, and He sent them meat to the full. And verse 26, so this is talking about manna, which we were just talking about. Verse 26, And he caused the east wind to blow from heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind, and he rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowls like the sand of the sea, and he let it fall into the midst of their camp around about their inhabitation. So they did eat and were filled, for he gave them their own desires. Can you imagine... And think about it, around here we see quail a lot, okay? And we're talking about quail here. And you, know, you see bunches of quail running around at any one time. <laughs> okay, and if you had a, a net or anything, morning. you could catch a bunch of them and have quail for, quail for dinner with no problem around here. But God said he rained them down on them. And if you remember in, in, in Numbers, it talked about them each gathering. I think we talked about it was like four, Thirty-gallon trash bags, full of quail, for each person. They were coming in, and they were just swinging their little clubs around, beating these <laughs> things. They were coming in at three, four oh. feet high, and they were beating these things out of the air. Their family would probably running around catching them as they were beating them, putting them, putting them in containers. Piñatas. Piñatas. Yeah, you can picture a piñata. <laughs> uh, and they <laughs> had so much quail and they were so hungry for this that they were eating it with greed because it talks in numbers about the 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 flesh coming out of their noses Ugh. from from how fast they were stuffing their faces with this quail and God got angry because of their lust and their greed and and their gluttony verse 29 and so they did eat and were filled and he gave them their own desires verse 30 but they were not estranged from from their lust. But while their meat was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. So we see this. They got their desires. They got what they thought they wanted and it still didn't satisfy them. Have you ever gotten what you thought you wanted? And you didn't want it. And you found out you really didn't (laughs) want it? It just didn't satisfy, no matter how much of it you tried to consume or take, and it just didn't fulfill. I hate it when I get thirsty and drinking, drinking water, water, and you think you get so full like a like a watermelon. But this is what God said: I'm giving you what you want, but it's not fulfilling you. And they ate it so gluttonously that God disciplined them, and He sent fire. He killed thousands of them for their gluttony because of what they wanted, because it was not godly desire. Did they even cook them? We don't know, it doesn't really say. I think they did, but I mean, it was, and it may not have, which would have added to the sin. Yeah, Yeah. if they didn't cook them, they were, they were in violation of God's law already. I, I think because it says that you, because of their gluttonous eating of it, I think they cooked them, they just, it was just gluttony. And it wasn't satisfying. But you know yourself that a roadrunner, even at a big roadrunner, it two or three bites and you're done. There's yeah. not no. These on are the quail, but running. yeah, these are quail. I meant quail. Oh. Uh, they're they're, like eating, fun they're fun like eating fun they're fun like eating fun. a small I chicken. Fun. They're like eating a small chicken. I mean, it's. Very small. Uh, I have quail. Well. It would be it would well, be well, like eating more, you know, bigger than thing. a Cornish game hen, but smaller than a, uh, you know, so. Yeah. But yeah, people, I mean, quail is a delicacy. I mean, you, you serve a quail for one person. So uh, this is a situation that where God is saying, even when you get what you think you want, it's not going to satisfy. If it's not God's, in God's plan, it's not going to satisfy. We, we think that, well, if I just had all the money I need, I'd be satisfied. Yeah. You talk to most rich people and they're not satisfied. Money is not going to satisfy. Things are not going to satisfy. Food is not going to satisfy. We really need God to be our satisfaction. And if we can't be satisfied with God, nothing's going to satisfy us. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity. Lord, help us to learn to be satisfied with what we have that you've given us. Let us always be content and not desiring of any anything that's outside of your will. Help us to seek you in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.